Uh, scripture reading for today for the sermon is Exodus 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, You are stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments and mount at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of clouds standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as one would speak to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And Moses said, Show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before your face, and I will proclaim the Lord by name before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But he added, You cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. The Lord said, Here is a place by me. You will station yourself on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Really thankful to be back with you. So, um, about three weeks ago at Northeast, I got to share a similar word 
very beautiful how the Lord led the worship team to speak, sing, and share in his presence. I don't know about you, um, but when Moses says, basically, man, if you're not going, we can't go. It's your presence that distinguishes us, distinguishes us amongst all people. And surely in this day and age, there are many factors in culture, and especially in the West, that distinguishes us. Oftentimes, they're not the things that Jesus says that should. And so I love that Moses learned from a young man that it would be God's spirit, God's presence, that would set him apart and his people apart for all of their days. In fact, as he was growing up, he's about, you know, 40-ish years old, somewhere in the 40 to 80 range, as he's tending a flock and growing in his care for not just sheep, but would later transfer into his care for people. A bush was on fire, but it wasn't on fire. Many of us have talked about that for decades and millennia. But what was crazy is that Moses had learned to be aware of his presence, to be agile towards God's presence, to be able to look, turn, and then be uh, intimate and available to God's Spirit. And in our day and age, many of us, including myself, we lack the agility or awareness to pivot when God's Spirit or presence is amongst us. Would we agree with that? Now, this morning, it's been very clear that God's Spirit has been leading this service, this gathering of His saints. And so, my prayer is that as we kind of wade into this again, and make a pivot, because I about scrapped this, by the way, as we were leading worship. I was like, no, we're going somewhere else. Um, we will still go somewhere else. Because I think, my friends, what God revealed to Moses as far as his presence would be his character, yes? There in chapter 33, but really specifically in 34, and I think the beauty of this is what kind of presence are we bringing to the culture around us? That's where the pivot will be today. Are we bearing the fruit of his presence? That would be my prayer. I have some friends uh, who Friday heard some hard news about their financial state and their kids' state and uh, the needs that their kids have. And Kevin and Katie Chandler just left to take care of his sister because she's sick a minute ago. <clears throat> and there is something special, special about God's people reflecting God's presence by how they care for one another that tells the world that we're his people. And so my prayer as you guys came and prayed for one another and that happens weekly as a rhythm here at Broadway, that it would transfer into more and more of a reflective presence of God's spirit by how we care for one another. That would be my end game. Not just that we need God's presence, that his presence would actually convert our hearts 
in our minds and our mouths and our actions into a reflective goodness and mercy and grace and fruitfulness by which the people around us, specifically in the body, and then those around the body, those that you're connected with, would go, what in the world is this? What is this that we are tasting today? What is this fruit that is coming out of this body and these individuals and these families today? What is, where is this coming from? And so we'll, we'll wade into Exodus 33 for a moment. Then we're going to flip over to Acts because I think when God's presence comes and we are full to overflowing with Christ, there is a sharing of life, sharing of resources, sharing of time, energy that tells the world that these are the people of God. That same friend last night had told me that I think many of us are too busy having fun to be aware of his presence or maybe to even see the needs that his presence is making us aware of. It's like we're in a whole new season of the American dream. Last one-liner I might have for you right now is, it feels like in the West, we can still have our old life and our new life and call it Christian at the same time. I don't think that's what he died for, rose for, ascended for, or made us new for. So I might be a little bit more somber. Hopefully some of that jovial part of my personality will come out, but I can't tell right now because there's a heaviness and a goodness of God's spirit in here today. And maybe if I joke too much, we might just miss what he's actually trying to say. So let's pray. Jesus, you so care about your bride. And so we would just simply ask that your spirit who promises to teach us all truth, to remind us of your very words, to convict us of our own sin, to comfort us in the midst of affliction, to counsel us in the midst of our confusion, that he would lead today, and he would lead us right back to you, as you've promised. May your testimony and the testimony of the gathering of your church today Represent that you're the king of your kingdom and you are leading well, speaking well, caring well, loving well, correcting well in a way that the world may know that you are the risen shepherd who has come to save the world. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now that first few verses... God tells Moses really clearly, you're going to go and get my promise, and I'm even going to send someone with you, but you can't have me. It's a very interesting statement. You can have my promises, you can have my protection, but you can't have me. And I just, I would like you to sit in that for a minute. What if God gave you all of his promises, his protection, but he said, I am not going with you? What would your answer be? Just think about it, process it. And then we'll ask a few questions here in a moment. It says here, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you. Those are some heavy words that Jesus has promised to address. 
In 1 Peter 2.24, he says, He used his servant, servant body to carry our sins to the cross so that we could be rid of sin, free to live the right way. His wounds became our healing. You were lost sheep with no idea who you were or where you were going. Now you're, now you're named and kept for good by the shepherd of our souls or your souls. The reality is that someone was crushed on our behalf. So there is a good news in light of this heavy news. Hey, you can have my promise, you can have my protection, but you cannot have my presence. But we stand on the other side of the ascended Jesus who was consumed so that we could have his promise, his protection, and his presence, not at our cost, but on behalf of his. Is that true? Is that what we have in Jesus today? Absolutely. And so as the text would continue, I've got to point this way at you guys, and I can look straight forward. Thanks for this screen up here that you guys installed today. Verses 4 through 6, he says, When the people heard this disastrous word, you're not going, they mourned, and, they, and no one put on ornaments. I have to ask, what if God said, us today, said today, I'm not going with you? I wonder if in the West, we've already ran far ahead of this reality. And we might need to look back and, and wonder where we left Jesus behind. I wonder if we've ran so fast and done so much and had so much mission and vision and creativity and ideas and branding and entrepreneurship that we have moved so far down the road that maybe John would be given a letter by the Spirit to write to us today and say, hey, come back. You've ran ahead of my presence. Their response is so beautiful. They mourned. Blessed are those who mourn in the Sermon on the Mount, who, who weep over their sin, who weep over the brokenness that they have caused, that others have caused, the world has caused. And it said they didn't put on these ornaments. Now, these ornaments are very interesting. These ornaments were used, uh, well, first of all, they were taken from Egypt. They're, they're nice necklaces and additions to their clothing, and they, they strapped them on themselves when they began to journey into freedom. Those ornaments were used a chapter earlier to build a golden calf so they could touch the God that they say they loved. They boiled it down and created their worship. Those same ornaments, though, will be used to build a tabernacle where they can worship God, where God's presence would dwell. So my question to you, just much like our confession a few minutes earlier, is what are those things that are limiting our closeness? Things that may be used to worship in idolatry or things that may be used to worship the king. I have to tell you that one of my limiting factors in my worship or being aware of his presence, honestly, is social media. For me, man, I can get distracted so quickly and it can ravel so broken in such a broken way that it leads me away from being aware of his presence. For me, it's something I'm constantly laying down. Even my, my job, NeighborLink, is, is telling a story, inviting people into a story of, of loving our neighbor, the least of these, the last, the, the nobodies, the, the people that people don't know are behind front doors, and bringing awareness to that. But what I've realized is that even in telling the story, I can get lost in that narrative. 
shoot, the reality is my left hand's not supposed to know what my right hand's doing, and here I am taking both of them and telling everybody about them. What is limiting my closeness? Not your neighbors, not your spouses, not your siblings, not your friends. What is limiting your closeness? It may be a good thing that we could use for worship. It may be something that, it isn't a bad thing, it's actually a gift from the Lord, but now it's been converted to be used for the flesh. When Israel heard that they were going to lose it all, specifically his presence, they mourned, they didn't put on the extra, and they, they sat in it, they waited into it. As you continue into the text, in 7 and 8, Things begin to change. I think an example is being given. Moses would often get away, correct? Has anybody, I don't need your answers, but think about a time where you've gotten away with the Lord. Could be a walk in the woods, amongst some flowers. It could be riding your bike. It could be camping. It could be just strolling through the, the neighborhood with your spouse. But it's very interesting to hear in, in chapter 33, verse 7, and eight, when Moses would leave, he'd go outside of camp. And it says he would go far away from camp. I wonder how many of us are willing to leave where we are to go where, where we know we should be. Has ever thought about that? Leave where we are to go where we should be. That place of meeting, that place of intimacy, that place of presence. Jesus, in Hebrews 13, it says he went outside of the wall to get us, outside the gates to grab us. I often believe that we have to leave where we are to go where we need to be. Whether that's finding a space in your home, backyard, down the street, in a chapel, going camp. I don't know what the answer is, but getting away brings a lot of clarity. When I was pastoring full-time many years ago, I had a rhythm, and that rhythm was easy every morning, noon and night, man. I was trying to get into the Word, hear from Him, grow in Him, walk in Him, and at some point, with a change of our life, I gave up my mornings. That intimacy, that place of meeting, and so I began just trucking to keep up, to work hard, to do the thing that I know I was supposed to do. And at some point, just like a man I'd heard not many moons ago say, I'm only studying the Word to teach the Word. Additionally, what I would often do twice a year is I'd go away and fast and pray for a week just to listen. Now, we might not be able to do that now. My life isn't set up like that anymore. But my question to you and me is where can I or where do I go and meet with Christ? Moses is setting up a picture of intimacy, of presence for a whole group of people that is the nation of Israel. Where are you and I going to meet with our Savior? Have we forgotten? Have we lost that rhythm? Maybe write down a place that, that that has worked before or a place that this week or even today you'll go to later on. Maybe some of us, it's sitting with a guitar in our hand. Maybe it's writing, drawing, sitting outside under the sun. 
I would encourage you in the next 24 hours to take 15, 30 minutes to just get away. One of the things I've hated most about preaching in this, that's hilarious to say, by the way, I've never verbalized that, hated about preaching in this season of my life is I don't believe that it is the transformative moment of our week. Like, I don't think I have the capacity in me to do what I think God wants to do. That's a really good thing, because if I had all that power, it'd be scary. But the reality is the most intimate and beautiful moments of our lives will be when God meets you face-to-face in intimacy, often alone or away from everyone. His presence has the power that a preacher doesn't. And maybe that's good at 40, almost 44 years old that I've come to realize that the power doesn't reside in me. It's him alone. That doesn't negate the sermon. It just puts it in position. The reason why I also don't like to teach sometimes is that in our culture, we just move on from here to to what's next. And I would really encourage you to not just move on to what's next. Growing up, football was my recharge after I preached. It was like, I'm going to the couch and I probably won't move for eight hours. And everything that I just gave out didn't get refilled by the Colts, for sure. And when I was in New England, the Patriots, 100%. You're welcome. I have to be consistent for y'all. But I tended to give a lot, but not refill what I was giving away. So where can I go to meet with Christ regularly so that I am being filled to overflowing I will tell you this, what I learned is, <clears throat> I think we're supposed to give of our excess, the, the, the living water that overflows, often I was giving of what I had left. And by meeting intimate with the Lord, I think we have excess to give that seems abundant, just like Jesus exemplified and called us to. We have more to give than we even know that we have. Often the, the burden that I carry, I feel like I carry it heavy in a way that doesn't seem joyful or in proper position. Jesus is my rest. He gives me a load to carry that has lightness and ease and joy about, about it. And often the way I carry it feels like I'm carrying something that is heavy when he tells me it's supposed to be light. I think that lightness comes from his presence. The only, thing I, only way I know to learn that is by failing. And boy, have I failed a lot. When Moses entered the tent in verse 9 through 11, it says the pillar of the cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and would worship each at his door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. There's a lot to break down in this section, but here's a question. In your intimacy, in seeking the presence of God, who are you bringing with you? Who is is seeing, or at least tasting and seeing, that which God is doing in you while you're away from everyone else? Because what's so beautiful is in years to come, Joshua will be standing there alone being told that he is going to lead the people of God. And he goes, nope. 
Like, we don't have that in Joshua 1, but we surely see he was scared, he was afraid, he didn't know what to do, and God shows up in his presence with his word and says, I got you, homie. Did you ever read that translation? (laughs) Don't fear, don't fret. I'm with you, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. He had learned by watching Moses that the presence of God is what he would need to lead the people of God. In the days going forward, it would surely be the presence of God that would lead the people of God. And you know what? The book of Judges is about a people that lacked the presence of God but still led the people of God. So who am I bringing with me? Who am I discipling in the presence of God? Who is getting to taste the fruits of me being away with him? Who's seeing the fruit of the Spirit come out of me? They go, where is that coming from? That's not who you are. My Savior is producing in me what he has promised. Many of you exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Some of you might watch me and go, man, he's not, his hands aren't up. He's not dancing around. He's not singing much. I'm sitting, listening, and watching. When I'm in the, in the service, I'm watching the church, the spirit, his body interact with one another, not because I'm trying to snipe you and then call you out. That'd be awful. But more, I just want to, I want to listen to, I want to encounter what God's doing amongst the people in a specific place. And then I want to listen to what he might say to me so that when I do talk, I'm not out of context because I don't know you well enough to know what should be said outside of God's spirit leading us to this place right now. The way you care for one another, the way you come around one another, the way you listen to one another, the way you elevate people's different ministries, the way you slow down for one another, all attributes of God's Spirit at work. And what you might miss is that that is the work of Christ. It doesn't have to be a prolific, powerful communicator. It doesn't have to be a great sounding band. It doesn't have to be all of these things that we've come to come used to. It is simply the fruitfulness of Christ at work that bears his spirit, that testifies to his activity amongst his bride. So bring more with you. Sons, daughters, spouses, friends. Let them taste and be aware of his presence, just like the song we sang says here, Moses said to the Lord, see you say to me, you ever talk like that to the Lord? Get a little sassy. I remember hearing about a man from a previous time I was leading who rebuked his uh, child for, for laughing for, during a prayer. Have you ever gotten so stoic that there's no room for humanity? You ever done that? Where we smack people around for not being what we think they should be when they're in the presence of God? taking ourselves a little too seriously because the the writers of the scriptures get pretty serious with the Lord like in a way that I'm like are you really okay doing that Moses like you told me to lead where you at you're telling me these things but I don't see you at work all of the Psalms pretty much are people going why'd you dip on me why'd you leave me where are you I thought you were my God. And then God shows up and goes, don't you remember who I am and what I've done for you? And they're like, oh, let's worship. (laughs) Literally, they're that honest. They're like, you're gone, man. 
My enemies are right here. They're stabbing me in my back. Where are you? And he goes, well, I rescued you here, and this is who I am, and I love you so dearly. And it leads them out of their complaint, bold complaint, to rehearse his character. It leads them back to worship. Your honesty before the Lord, I almost guarantee you, will lead you to rehearse his character and come back to worship. Our God is not intimidated by the way you talk. That might be too easy of a way to say that, but I would, I would encourage you to come boldly. Do you believe that you can talk honestly with the Lord like you were to talk to a friend? So Moses does that. And you tell me to bring these people, but you've not let me know who you'll send with me. You said you know me by name. Again, he's declaring what he's been told, that, you've, that I found grace or favor or kindness in your sight, but you tell me to go. You say that these are your people. This is dumb. Where are you at? I, I need us to sit on this, and then we're going to jump to Acts. Now, God's going to show... Uh, Moses, his character, grace, goodness, kindness, justice, accountability are all going to be parts of his character that he's going to reveal. But what Moses says here in 33, I think, my friends, we, we may need to sit in for a while. What distinguishes us from the rest of the world? Is it being right? Is it being the corner market of truth? Is it where we go on Sunday? Is it how big our speakers are or how awesome our musicians are or how many things we offer to those around us? Or is it his presence that separates us or shows off who we are to the world around us? I may have said this before. When I was in my 20s, and probably still in my early 30s, my wife's better at making sure I remember who I've been. I don't know about you fellas if you know that too, but my wife is really good at encouraging me and reminding me that I'm a boofus. And so, um, again, I'm trying to use words that you don't often hear. That's my encouragement to you to use encyclopedias, dictionaries, and all the things that you need when I talk. But in my early 20s, I for sure... I was confronted regularly on my pride. When I was 18, I wore a hat backwards. Um, I don't think I, I think I dressed pretty normal. I was in a factory working, and I'm just kind of walking. And I don't know if I had a little bit of a groove to my walk or what. <clears throat> but this guy comes up to me and goes, you're prideful. And I was like, who in the world are you, homie? I don't know you at all. And he goes, I said, well, how, how am I prideful? He goes, it's the way you walk and the way we wear your hat. And I was like, I can't win. We're recording an album. My wife and I were playing music, and the producer turns around. And he's like, bro, you're prideful. And I was like, dude, we need to have a conversation because that is the pot calling the kettle black. Anyway, we moved on. I'm like, boom, 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 boom. Just getting shot. Bang, you're prideful. Bang, you're prideful. Come to get uh, the, the nickname, Dr. Confrontation. Me confronting people is probably what distinguished me from others. Though I loved God and I loved people, I didn't know how to exercise that which was in me. 
In fact, still coming back to Fort Wayne, people from my early 20, 20 years ago will remind me of who I used to be and still think that that is who I am. There's been a lot of pain for the last 20 years of pastoring that has led to a different kind of man. And it's okay if people don't get to know that man. But what I do know is that that hardship has been used to refine me to be his kind of man. So what distinguishes us? Moses would say, show me your glory. This has been a prayer for a long, long time. By men and women from all over the world, would you show me your glory? Whoever put the set together, thank you for taking time to listen to his spirit. Will we we be more aware of his presence, of your spirit, and desirous of your glory? Will we be a people that reflect his presence to the world? I can tell you that your leaders reflect that presence. Every exchange I've ever had reflect his presence. And so here's what it made me think of while we were, while we were singing. If you could turn over. Thank you for doing that. I'm sorry I just jumped back ahead of you. If you could turn to Acts chapter 2 and 4 for me, and then I'll close out. Now, I think these are often quoted for church planting and idealistic goals, but I think what produces what we love to read is honestly, we love to read this because this is what we desire, every one of us. When you became born again, when you found Christ, did you have a vision of what the body of Christ would look like? When you read the scriptures, did you go, oh, this is what she's supposed to look like? Did you? Or as you've grown up, have you thought of, imagined what the bride of Jesus is supposed to look like? I think we've, we've all had some kind of dream. If we were to be honest, you might shake your head no, but I think somewhere in here you're like, this is what I thought, or this is what I think, and this is what I read. If I were just to read honestly, to not try to make any excuses, this is what I think the body of Jesus is supposed to look like. That's somewhere in here. In the new heart you've been given by Jesus through his spirit, somewhere in there is this craving, this desire for the body he portrays and speaks to and promises through his presence in here. It's been in me since I was a little kid. And if it's not there today, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you produce a desire for your type of people full of your presence And would we not wait for someone else to get started? You have a great pastor. Hear me. His name is Jesus. Ryan and the rest. Yes, your greatest shepherd is Jesus. And he leads you by his spirit. And you do not have to wait for permission to do what he has said. Now, Galatians 5 speaks of the fruit of the spirit. This is the people of God. This is what's coming out of the people of God. And I know that we've been talking for the whole summer about one another, and this is why I think this matters. His presence leading us to one another. Acts 2.42 has been said over and over and over and over again. But I think his presence makes a specific people that are distinguished amongst the rest of the world. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. It says all came upon every soul, 
on the backside of the Holy Spirit coming out on tribes, tongues, and nations, and then becoming one. This is the result. This is what the people gave their lives to. All came upon every soul. Many, many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and all had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belong, belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I think right there, I live in this world a lot with NeighborLink. But I'm telling you, I am telling you that if we would dist distribute our excess to one another in a way that reflected what the Spirit did 2,000 years ago, the world would look on and go, I thought the government was the answer. I thought my insurance was the answer. Wait, Jesus and his people have different answers. They give of their excess to take care of one another. We've never, we've, ne we've dreamed of that. We twist that. We force that. But we've never seen people out of freedom give like that. And we could write this off. This is 2,000 years ago. This happened one time. I think for 2,000 years, there's been pockets of people who have been led by the Spirit through the presence of God to give up their old life for a new life full of God's presence. And let me tell you this. It takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. It's a commitment to a life all the way till we get home to this new heavens and new earth. But as you continue in here, you see they, they were selling their possessions, belongings, distributing to those that had need. Guys, my, my friends, I got a call a few days ago for a woman who was, in, uh, who was, who was beat up hard by her, her ex-husband with three kids living in a car. And they were moving into a house that wasn't theirs, that was basically condemned, where they were using duct tape to, to sort out the plumbing issues. They had no answers. I, want, I wonder, I just wonder what would happen if the bride of Christ was committed to like seeing each other and those stuck in hard places in a way that seems like I read here. What would happen? Then it wouldn't be just over there. It wouldn't be just in Ethiopia or in the Philippines or in China or in Russia or in South America or Kenya or wherever it is, Saudi Arabia or Turkey, but it would be here. Galatians 5 says this to, the, to some effect, don't use your freedom for the flesh. If there were a handful of words that describe the American church, I might use just those words. We've used our freedom for us. Use your freedom to walk in the Spirit. It says, day by day, they attended the temple together, breaking bread in homes, received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day who were being saved. My friends, the numbers in the scriptures, I think, were surprises to the people. I don't think their goal was how many showed up. I think they were shocked at what God was actually up to. It was a result of his presence working in his people that grew things in a way that, that blew their minds. And then in Acts 4, just read the end of the chapter. There was great grace and great power amongst the folk. So my friends, what distinguishes us as the people of God it is the presence of God. And I'm thankful for almost two hours of sitting in his presence with you. And I would plead with you. 
as I would plead with myself to not be content with just moving forward with his promises and his protection without his presence. His presence will produce a one anothering that the world has yet to see, but longs for and dreams of. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I ask for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy to minister to our hearts. I pray, Holy Spirit, again and again and again, would you move? For those that, that came just to be here today, that was, that was the best they could do. I pray that you would shock their hearts with your kindness and your patience. For those that have a yearning for your presence in fresh new ways, God, would you speak in profound new ways to their hearts? For those that feel stuck and on the outside and unseen and unheard, I pray that you would lead your people to jump into gaps they never knew existed. And God, I do pray for the ministry of NeighborLink, where we have 685 homes waiting for someone to show up in the city of Fort Wayne. I pray that you would send your bride, those that love Jesus, to show up into those places to find out what's behind a door and to extend grace in a way that can only testify to your presence. God, I thank you for this body. I ask that you would do a work, a new work in this season. I thank you for the work that's been done for decades, from Pastor Bob to now. And there would be a freshness amongst this place and this people that would declare that your presence is all we long for. So in your name I pray, and everybody said, Amen. Amen.